This episode of the How What Business is brought to you by Gusto. Gusto provides easy online payroll benefits and HR services and tools built for modern small businesses across the country. They were even named Best Online Payroll by PC Mag. And as a listener, you'll get three months for free when you run your first payroll. Sign up and give it a try at gusto.com forward slash how. That's G-U-S-T-O dot com forward slash how. Or you can just text biz, B-I-Z, to 31996, and I will reply with the link. Welcome to The How of Business with Henry Lopez and David Begin, the podcast that helps you start, run, and grow your small business. And now, here are your hosts. Welcome to this episode of The How of Business. This is Henry Lopez, and my guest today is Greg Dickerson. Greg, welcome to the show. Hey, Henry. Thank you for having me. It's good to be here. Absolutely. Looking forward to this conversation. Real estate is something that I've always been interested in and have dabbled in uh, over a lot of years. have owned some rental properties, had my realtor's license for a while, and now I'm a passive investor. But of course, it's, it's a fascinating topic for a lot of us. I'm excited to have Greg with us. We're going to chat about his entrepreneurial journey, how he got to where he is today, and then uh, we'll chat about starting and growing a real estate business. We'll take a look at it from that person who's listening, who might be interested in starting a real estate business or maybe starting it on the side, perhaps. And so that's kind of the angle that we'll take on it. If you want to receive more information about the Howa business, uh, including links to the show notes page for this episode, just text the word biz to 31996. Uh, so let me tell the audience a bit more about you, Greg, if I could. Greg Dickerson is a serial entrepreneur, uh, entrepreneur that didn't come out very good, a real estate investor and a developer. He has uh, spent the past 20 years, or over the past 20 years, rather, he's bought, developed, and sold over $200 million in real estate, built and renovated hundreds of custom homes and commercial buildings, and started 12 different companies from the ground up. Greg served in the United States Navy right out of high school and has always been a leader in the community, serving on the boards of several churches, ministries, and nonprofit organizations. Greg currently coaches some of the top real estate investors, apartment syndicators, and developers in the industry, helping them to grow and scale their business and do bigger deals. He lives in the Charlottesville, Virginia area. So once again, Greg Dickerson, welcome to the show. Henry, once again, thank you for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. And you are calling me today from uh, Charlottesville, or are you out somewhere somewhere beyond that? No, I'm in Charlottesville. Uh, I kind of run the southeast corridor from North Carolina up into Charlottesville, Northern Virginia, but today I am in Charlottesville, and it's a beautiful 80 degrees. Wonderful, wonderful. Well, good. Well, let's get into it. I'm curious as to your early days, your career start, and, and how you got started in the business. You after high school, as I mentioned, you went into the Navy. So did you go to school, college that is? Or I know you did some schooling in the Navy, but tell me about those early days. Yeah, it's interesting. So natural born entrepreneur, started as a kid cutting grass, raking leaves, knocking on doors, making whatever kind of money I could make. Um, so I was just kind of born with that fire in the belly. So all through high school, um, I was kind of pushed in the direction. My dad was a career military guy to go in the military right out of high school and skip college. And uh, so I did that, went in, enlisted, and I ended up in retail uh, in the Navy. That's what I did in the Navy. I was on a battleship, so that was interesting. You know, I had worked in restaurants, um, 
before I went into the military and after I got out, um, I worked in restaurants uh, by night and by day I did construction work. So I got my start in the business in the industry of real estate, uh, more on the construction side, remodeling and handyman work and kind of worked my way up from there. And the way I got started was there was a guy doing an addition on a restaurant I was working in and he hired me to clean up after him. And that's kind of how I got my taste of the construction industry and kind of followed him around and learned from him and and did some work and ended up doing some government contracting all up and down the East Coast, but uh, but did not go to college. I did some trade school in the Navy for mil- uh, for retail, which, you know, they taught you how to keep the books and how to manage uh, inventory and things like that. Very entrepreneurial. I kind of applied those lessons in my life as I stepped out on my own and also what I learned in the restaurant industry and then, you know, uh, educated myself as I, I went along the way, books and tapes and, and courses and things like that. I've spent hundreds of thousands of dollars educating myself over the years. Yeah. So you said you were entrepreneurial and and desire and spirit early on. So what were your thoughts after you got out of the Navy? Did you think you would start your own business then? What what were your plans at that point? Yes. I've always just always had that in me. I don't know what it is, but it's just always been inside of me and nobody in my family are entrepreneurial. They were all career people. Um, But yeah, I knew after I got out of the military that I wanted to start my own business. I've always, I always had my own little side business. Um, doing construction while I was working in restaurants in the corporate world. So I just kind of always did that on the side as I was as I was working a corporate job. So uh, it, it is something that I'd always desired. And it wasn't until 1997 when I started a, a company down on the Outer Banks of North Carolina, uh, my first real construction company, and uh, is when my real full-time entrepreneurial journey started. And I made the decision to just step out and go all in. And I've been self-employed ever since. So, so 97. And, and when did you get out of the Navy more or less? So I'm trying to get it. Yeah, I got out of the Navy in 1989. Okay. Uh, so I worked corporate jobs uh, for about, you know, almost, I guess that'd be seven years, eight years, something like that. And it was mostly restaurants. And I always had a construction business on the side. There was a period in there for about a year or so where I was probably full-time self-employed, but mm. never quite made it work until 1997. Okay. So was it a financial uh, hurdle that kept you from, you know, do you finally in 97 started your first business or was it more than that? What is, was it fear? What kept you from actually getting started really truly being your own boss until 97? Well, you know, number one, just lack of knowledge and education. So I didn't know what I was doing and I wasn't making a lot of money. My wife at the time was a school teacher. So she was making 30,000 a year. I was making 15, 20 bucks an hour working, uh, you know, averaging in the construction field if I worked there. And then when I was managing restaurants, I was making 40,000 a year and I was climbing that corporate ladder. So it was more of necessity. Yeah. <clears throat> necessity. I had to pay the bills. We didn't have a lot of savings. We were young. We started having kids. And, uh, you know, I just, just didn't have the knowledge to yeah. be able to step out there and do it. But if you look back now, though, Greg, do you think it was lack of confidence? You thought you didn't have the knowledge or do you really think you, you needed to learn some things first? No, I needed to learn some things. I mean, I flat out did not know how to start a business. I didn't know how to keep the books. I didn't know what I was doing. I mean, literally, when I first started out and hired my first employees, you know, the, the taxes alone, um, <laughs> not knowing how to handle that and do that. I mean, I thought, you know, I, so I'm paying my employees and I withheld the taxes and I, I gave them their checks. I'm like, man, I got all this money in the bank. <laughs> oh, gosh. But I didn't know I had to turn it over to the IRS. You know, yeah. it, was, it was really interesting. And, I, and then I met my first bookkeeper and, you know, he had, he was fit to be tied with me and straighten me out. But, um, but anyways, it was, uh, it just, I just didn't know what I was doing. It was just yeah. like complete lack of knowledge. I didn't know how to price things. I didn't know how to execute. I didn't know how to handle the books. And I, I mean, literally learned it 
all from the ground up the hard way as I went along. When you were thinking about being an entrepreneur, about being your own boss, either in the Navy or around that time frame, did you think it would end up being in construction or was it because you ended up getting that practical experience that you ended up in the real estate business? Yeah, it was totally by accident. So I moved to the Outer Banks in 1997, which is an island off the coast of North Carolina. It's a summer resort destination and I'm a surfer. So I wanted to move there. It's, it's the Hawaii of the East Coast in open restaurants. So I moved to the Outer Banks to open restaurants. That's what I wanted to do. I always wanted to have my own restaurant. And when I moved there, I worked in the industry for the first year for other people that owned some restaurants down there. One guy had three restaurants, had been there 20 years. Uh, so I kind of worked for him, was learning the business and found out that it wasn't a great business down there. It was way too seasonal. You're not going to make a lot of money and you're going to kill yourself, you know, trying to get help. So uh, we had bought a house and I was trying to get some work done on the house and nobody would call me back. So I'm talking to my neighbors, talking to my friends. I'm like, what's going on with this, with this area down here? Nobody will call you back for work, you know, like landscaping, putting addition on the house, anything we wanted to have done. And yeah, but it was so busy. This was 1997, 98. Everybody was so busy in construction pre-boom years that they couldn't even return a phone call. So, you know, where there's a pro uh, problem, there's an opportunity, right? And I had some skills. So I said, well, shoot, you know, maybe I'll just print some business cards up. And my tagline was, I will call you back. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, I went and searched for a name, and what I am is a marketer. I'm a marketer. I'm a grassroots guy, guerrilla marketing. That was one of the first books I read, and I created a business, and I called it Outer Banks Construction. It was the Outer Banks of North Carolina, so nobody had that name, Outer Banks Construction, so instantly I looked like I'd been there forever. Right. And, um, and then I put my tagline, I will call you back, and uh, you know that was, that was my unique selling proposition. I answered the phone and called people back. But it's such a it's such a great marketing lesson because that's all it takes sometimes is a simple little simple relatively speaking differentiator that had a lot of power and that you know that's all that's all you needed. Yeah, and the other thing was I focused strictly on remodeling and handyman work right out of the gate. So all the other builders down there were busy building houses, big projects. Nobody wanted to do the little stuff, so it was just me, my truck, and my tools. So I started out doing all the little stuff nobody else wanted to do. All the other builders were sending me their work. Uh, trying to help me out because I was young and a seeker of wisdom. And I'd say, look, I want to learn. I'm trying to build a business. Anything you don't want to do, I'll do it. That's how I generated uh, the bulk of my work starting out. You know, it worked very well for me. I did 250000 my first year in sales. And seven years later, I was one of the largest builders down there. We were doing $30 million a year. And that was 0405, and I sold the company. You know, it was, it was a great run. And I started those other 12 businesses along the way during, during that time frame. And they were all mostly related to the construction services industry except one, it was a cheerleading trampoline gymnastics school um, that was more of a community thing than I took a nonprofit, but uh, that's kind of how, how that all happened. And you never did start a restaurant? Uh, I did some restaurants, yeah. I did several restaurants along the way. Never made okay. any money in them really, but yeah, I did, I did a number of restaurants. I had three of them going at one time. I see. Well, you got that out of your system then, right? I did, I did. I'll never do it again. <laughs> Done. So, so going back to the early days when you, you knew you wanted to be your own boss, just didn't have the knowledge yet as we've, we've been talking about, what was it that you thought being your own boss was going to give you? What was it that you were going to get and benefit that, want, that, that led you to want it so badly? You know, just independence, being able to create wealth for myself and my family, to be able to, to create my own destiny in the military. You know, you do what you're told when you're told how you're told. And, you know, you're limited, right? You can only advance so fast. You just, no matter how good you are, you have to do a certain number of years before you can go to the next rank. And then I worked in construction. 
same thing there. You know, I was, I was working hard, learning things, but I wasn't being rewarded for the uh, extra work that I would do. I mean, I would outwork everybody. I would learn fast and you know, they can only pay you so much. And I get it now being an owner sure. of a construction company. I understand it now, but back then it was like, man, I'm really not going to be able to grow and do the things that I want to do. I love to travel. I wanted to, you know, have a nice house. I wanted to be able to provide for my kids, and my family. And, you know, you could only make so much a lot of times working for somebody else, unless you're a C-level executive in a major company, even in the restaurant industry, you know, that growth path, I was growing uh, in the restaurant industry, advancing very quickly, but you know, you're going to max out at a hundred grand a year in, in the restaurant business, unless you get a job with corporate. And that's right. very difficult to end up with. So, right. uh, you know, I just, I just, saw that unless I did my own thing, I was going to be limited in what I could do. Sure. Yeah, no, that makes sense. When you look back at it now, I get it that you didn't have the knowledge, but was there anything you would have done differently to get there sooner? Yes. So if I could go back and be that, if I could be that, you know, 23-year-old young man and even fresh out of the military. Well, when I got out of the military, I, I did some traveling and surfing and kind of, you know, I had a backpack and a surfboard to travel around <laughs> and surf. But when I got married and got serious about life and started working, and I'm a hard worker, man. I, I work seven days a week, 100 hours a day, whatever it takes, right? I would have gotten into real estate back then. I did not know that you could, you could get into real estate with no money, that all you had to do was get some experience and learn and then find good deals that were under market value and you know even wholesaling. I, I just didn't even know that that was a thing. And it was. People were doing it. I just didn't even know about it because the internet wasn't, you know, it wasn't even around then, you know, all of the educational courses, you know, I didn't stay up at night watching infomercials. So carton sheets, you know, wasn't even really doing much back then. Russ Whitney was around. There was a, a few people, but I just didn't know what I didn't know. So if I could go back and do it all over again, I would have started in real estate out of the gate and skipped the whole building thing and went straight to the development side, which is what I'm doing now. So let's talk about that. How, how, would, how would I get started at that level? Because, I mean, if we go back, you started as a handyman, got experienced there, established a company, and then grew to bigger and bigger projects, obviously. So explain to me again, where, where if you were advising you know, a young man or a young lady who wants to get into it, where, where do they start? Yeah, so it depends on what they want to do. So if, you know, if it's a, a individual who's educated and they have a career path and you want to be in real estate at the highest level, uh, the development business is where you're going to do the most and make the most and have the most impact. Okay. So uh, I would find the best developer in the country or in the world that I admired that, you know, if you want to build skyscrapers, you find the best in the world that that's what they do and go to work for them. Even if you got to work for free, mm -hmm. even if you have to have a moonlight part-time job and work for them for free, just to get the experience I would go to work for. So if you want to flip houses, Find the best house flipper in your area or, or in the country. Go to work for them. They're always hiring. Uh, if you want to be a home builder, if you want to be a realtor, if you want to be uh, you know, a, a landlord and buy and rent houses, if you want to be an apartment investor, whatever it is you want to do, whatever piques your interest in real estate, and there's a lot of angles to go, commercial right. real estate, whatever, go find the best in the business at whatever it is you want to do and go work for them. And for me, I thought it was restaurants. So I went to Lone Star Steakhouses. They were one of the fastest growing, most prolific steakhouse chains in the country. It was out back in Lone Star. They were the two. I went with Lone Star and I thought that's, that's what I wanted to do and uh, ended up not doing restaurants as a lifelong career. Uh, but I learned a ton. The business training that I, that I got was, was priceless. And that's what launched my career was the management and the business training I received from Lone Star Steakhouses. I took that, parlayed that into the real estate and construction industry 
And that's when things took off. Yeah, yes, that definitely, you, you applied yourself there. And again, those opportunities are always out there if we're willing to make that sacrifice. Now, the thing that's hard, of course, like in your situation, you had to you had to make enough money to support the family and pay the bills. So sometimes we don't have the luxury of saying, I'm going to work for little to nothing for the learning opportunity of it. So right. that's something that's hard to balance, right? It is. It is. And I always worked two jobs. So uh, I got paid. So I got paid to learn. And, uh, you know, when I was in construction, I, I got paid to learn there. So uh, but I just I always had two jobs. I'd work, you know, construction during the day and restaurants at night. So I did what I had to do to make it work. And even when I got into management in restaurants, I mean, I opened some restaurants that I work seven days a week, 14 hours a day. Um, you got to be committed. You got to be able to do what you can. But yeah, if you can't afford to work for free, uh, and you probably won't have to. I mean, if you go to somebody and you say, look, I'm willing to do whatever it takes. I just, I just want to get my foot in the door. Generally, they're going to find something for you to do if they're hiring. You know, and that's the other key is you got to go somewhere where they have people, they have employees and they're hiring. Mm -hmm. Other than that, you can hire a coach, hire a mentor, uh, somebody to help you learn the business. And that wasn't a thing you know, that was readily or easily accessible back in the day when I was learning. You just didn't have those types of people or opportunities. You had books, you had those types of things. So you can hire a mentor, um, uh, go to work for somebody or, um, you know, just educate yourself online now and just kind of learn. That's really the biggest thing that, yeah. that, that you really need is the education to open your mind to what's possible and what's available out there. And working with people like you and me that have been down that road, we know what we know and we know it. Yeah. And we know how to use it, you know, and uh, that's the biggest difference. I just didn't know what I didn't know, and I didn't know how to use what I knew. <laughs> back right, back then. right. But you were willing to put in the the tremendous effort and the time to develop that knowledge and to learn from others. Um, what about uh, timing? Did what people say is this a good time to get into the real estate business, or is it always a good time? What are your thoughts there? Yeah, I mean, there's always opportunity, and there's obviously some times that are better than others. So pre-2009 was the best time in recent history to be in real estate. 2009 wasn't the best, but a lot of people got into it then and made some money if, if they were able to take advantage of the opportunities. And, you know, now is a really good time. I mean, there's a lot going on in, in, in all areas. The real estate markets are pretty hot all across the country. Uh, it's a pretty good, pretty robust time to be in real estate. It's difficult to find good deals uh, in all sectors because there is so much uh, – competition out there and a lot of people getting into the business. But the thing about real estate is you can do it forever. You can do it from anywhere. And it's very creative. You know, there's really, I mean, there's obviously tricks of the trade, there's laws and things like that. But there really are no, no rules in terms of how you can structure a deal. So you can structure a deal any way that you can think of to make it work. And that's what I love about real estate. It's just, it's, it's just so creative and flexible. And it's something that you can scale very quickly and very easily without having to have a big overhead like you do in like a construction company or a traditional brick and mortar type business. Right, right. Yeah, I can definitely. Every deal is is slightly different, which is exciting and always challenging. You also, we've touched on it already, but you also talk a lot about starting small and starting local, right? Yeah, so real estate is local. And, you know, number one, you got to get the knowledge and the education of the industry and the language of the industry. And it's and it's different and specific to each type of real estate, whether it's commercial or residential. So whatever it is that interests you, you've got to, number one, learn the language of the business, learn the metrics of the business, um, and then you have to know your market. And that's why I tell people to start small, start local, so that you can learn the business and mitigate mistakes, and, and you're, it's right there in your own backyard. I mean, it's acres of diamonds, right? Mm -hmm. Barring living in the middle of the desert, desert somewhere, if you're in an area where there's activity, there's going to be deals around you. 
So uh, get to know your market. When I say know your market, let's say you're in the residential game and you want to flip houses or wholesale houses, then you need to know in a certain area how many houses are for sale, how long they've been for sale, how many are under contract, how long have they been on the market, how many have sold in the last year, three years, five years, how long were they on the market, what did they sell for, list price to asking price, uh, you know, those types of things. What are the square foot ranges of different types of houses in different areas? Um, what are people looking for? What's the hot product? What's the fastest moving price point? What are the hot areas? Some neighborhoods are more sought after than others. Some areas you can go into and you can turn down one street. Nobody, you can't give a house away, but one street over, you can't, you can't uh, keep them on the market, you know, for more than a day. So, you know, that's what I mean by real estate's local. It's, you know, everybody's heard location, location, location. And, uh, you know, it, that's what, that's what, real estate is local means. Yeah. And I, and I think it's one of the big mistakes I see and, and observe people make is they, they think they can just quickly come into a hot market that they don't know. And, and then it's, it's a lot more speculative and a lot, lot less chance that you are going to find a good opportunity. You have to do, you have to put in the time to learn an area, especially if you're doing residential and that just takes time and dedication to get that knowledge, right? Exactly. You got to put the time in and you know, the other thing that you can't teach somebody that I was born with, and I'm very grateful, and maybe it was instilled in me by my dad, I don't know, but is a sense of urgency. Um, so not only am I a hard worker, you know, I've got an unbelievable work ethic, but I've got a strong sense of urgency. I mean, I, I find a way to make it happen, and I get it done right now. I have zero backlog in my life, and, you know, I will find an answer to something. You know, I, won't, I will not give up. I mean, that's, that's what we do in real estate and business you know, you're problem solvers. As leaders, we are problem solvers. That urgency, how did it keep you though from not moving before you were ready or making a decision before you were ready? Because there's a difference between being having that sense of urgency and that drive. How did you, how do you balance the two things? So sense of urgency is you've got a list of people to call to ask if they want to sell their property. And you just mm -hmm. say, ah, you know, I'll get to that next week or you know, let's say, you know, Henry, you gave me a lead. You say, hey, Greg, this guy wants to sell his house. All right, I, you know, I'll call him, you know, when I get around to it. That's a lot of the attitude out there. No, I, I believe it. <laughs> I me, believe it. I'm on the phone the minute you hand me that yeah. paper. I'm like, oh, Henry, hang on. I'll get right back to you. I'm over there calling the guy. And then I come back, hey, yeah, just talk to him. Thank you so much. You know, that's what I meant by we will call you back. When the phone rings, answer it. If somebody hands you a lead, Follow up on it right away because not only does it reflect on you, but it reflects on the individual that gave you the lead, right? Uh, so that's sense of urgency. Whatever it is task-wise, take care of it right now. You know, don't let it sit. If it's an email, if it's a letter, if it's a cold call, if it's an appointment, if it's a follow-up, now is the best time to take care of anything. Don't let anything sit on your desk or in your inbox or in your life, including making your bed every morning, right? Just don't let it wait. Take care of it right now. Move on. You feel good because you can check the box. It's done. And you, you, you develop a discipline of a sense of urgency. Now, that's very different than what you're talking about in terms of impatience. Yeah. So yeah. I always tell people, do not be in a hurry to do a deal. Right. Make sure it's right. Make sure you do your homework. Make sure you're thorough. And don't let yourself feel like you have to do a deal. Like a lot of people get in the mode, I'm going to miss out. If I don't do this deal, I'm going to miss out. And they just jump right into it. Mm -hmm. And that's when bad things happen. There's a big difference between sense of urgency, follow up and follow through and being patient and being prudent and being wise and diligent about how you go about the process of doing a deal.
Yeah, I get it. And I, I love that. And I think it's, I think it's a model for success in whatever business you are going to go into. I think that, like you said, that I see that lacking in a lot of people in that ability to, to get things done instead of putting it off. It's, it's a discipline thing. I, I agree with you on that. This is Henry Lopez, and I would like to take a moment to introduce you to our show sponsor, Gusto. They provide easy online payroll benefits and HR services and tools built for modern small businesses. We often discuss on this show how small business owners have to wear so many different hats. You have the ultimate responsibility for everything in your business. While some of those hats are totally enjoyable to wear, others, like the responsibility for filing taxes and running payroll, maybe are not so enjoyable and probably not what you want to be spending too much of your precious time on. That's where Gusto comes in. Gusto makes payroll, taxes, and HR actually easy for small businesses. Fast, simple payroll processing, benefits, and simple management tools all in one place. Gusto automatically pays and files your federal, state, and local taxes so you don't have to worry about it. Plus, they make it easy to add on health benefits and even 401ks for your team. Those old school clunky payroll providers just weren't built for the way modern small businesses work. But Gusto is. So let them wear one of your many hats. You have better things to do. And as a listener of our show, you get three months free when you run your first payroll. Try a demo and see for yourself at gusto.com forward slash how. That's G-U-S-T-O dot com forward slash H-O-W. Or just text the word biz, B-I-Z, to 31996, and I will send you the link. So, so staying on the topic of real estate, one thing that I found interesting as I was doing the research and listening to your other interviews is, is your approach, and I want to make sure I, I understand it, to how you analyze a particular investment. If I understood you right, you're not big on doing financial performance in the traditional sense that that I would think of it, let's say. But but then on the other hand, you you talk about that it's all about the numbers. So help me understand, and let's let's start with this question. When you're looking at a particular opportunity, an investment, a piece of property, a new project, what is the math that you do to to decide that it makes sense or not? Right. Or business, right? So it could be a business, could be any investment. So number one, anytime you look at an investment, whether it's real estate business or otherwise, you always want to think with, begin with the end in mind. And, you know, and I study Warren Buffett and Warren Buffett would say, you know, if you can't put your business plan on the back of a nap, on, on, down on a napkin, uh, then it's too, it's too big uh, or, or it's too complicated. So you want to be able to summarize your business in one page. So I try to take a top line view. Number one, what's my exit strategy? So any business, any investment you look at, there's always going to be an exit. Nothing lasts forever. Everybody liquidates. So, um, you know, when you leave this earth or before. So I always look at the end game. So number one, preservation of capital. How am I going to get my money back? That's first and foremost. Then number two, what am I going to earn on that money? Uh, and what is my exit strategy? So for a piece of real estate, your exit, your exit strategy is you sell, you refinance, or you rent right? That's, that's your exit strategy. You're going to rent long-term, you're going to refinance, or you're going to sell. That's really the only three things you can do with a piece of real estate. It's a real simple formula. When I look at a piece of real estate, whether it's residential, commercial, whatever it is, it's going to have either a cash flow factor that I'm looking at. So that's dollars in. Then it's going to have very simple expenses, which are dollars out. And that's going to leave some money at the end of the day after 
uh, you know, after debt service and all that. So, you know, you look at the net operating income before debt service. So you have your income, you have all your expenses. That leaves you with a net operating income number. If you were to pay cash for that asset, that's going to be a return, which is a cap rate. So the question is, if I buy a building for a million dollars, or if I'm going to invest a million dollars, what kind of cash on cash return do I want? Most people want eight to 10%. So um, unless you're a passive investor and, you know, six, 7%, you know, what will suffice. But as, you know, an opportunistic developer, I like higher returns than that, but the minimum is eight to 10. So that's what I look at. That's what I'm comfortable with. And it really boils down to what you're comfortable with. So dollars in, expenses out, just like a business, right? Same thing. At the end of the day, it leaves a net operating income. And then if you finance that property, then you're going to have a, uh, a cash on cash return or a internal rate of return over the life of that property, which is, which is essentially cash flow over time. So that's going to take into account the debt service, the down payment you put down and all that. But at the end of the day, when I look at any deal, I look at what's the value at the back end, what's my income, what's my expenses, and that leaves me a number. And the money that I have to invest uh, is going to generate a return on that number. Am I satisfied with it? So that's how I look at anything. Mm -hmm. And the numbers realistically always have to work for you to move forward with an opportunity? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. In other words, and you don't just fall in love with a project or you think it might have potential or, you know, if this happened or that happened. In other words, you look at the very real short-term numbers to decide if it makes sense or not. Exactly. It's all the truth is in the numbers and, and you know, the numbers do not lie. So if you're accurately running the numbers and not trying to fool yourself or looking at somebody else's representation, pro forma numbers, then, you know, the decision's easy to make. And I, I've done real estate deals in areas where you would look at and go, man, are you sure you want to go over there? And I'm like, look, the comps are there. So I look at comps in terms of flipping properties or building a house and selling it, doing a spec house or doing a commercial building. You know, if, if product is moving, if inventory is moving and it's selling at a certain price and it's active and there's, and there's demand, then it is what it is regardless of what we think it looks like. There's buyers for that market. So I look at the demand. I look at the inventory. I look at the comps. And then I look at the numbers of the deal. And I mean, if it, if it, if it works, it works. And that way it takes emotion out of the equation. You know, you asked about books and we haven't gotten there yet, but Ray, Ray Dalio, he was on 60 minutes a few weeks ago. He's a billionaire hedge fund investor. He wrote a book called principles and his whole career was built on the metrics of the business. So you don't get emotional about the asset. You don't get emotional about the business. You don't get emotional about the opportunity. You look at the numbers and then that way you can have an un, un emotional, unbiased view of that investment, that business, that opportunity. Yeah. Yeah. And I see that. I see that as a common mistake. Again, not just in real estate, even when somebody's buying a business or getting into a business idea. In fact, I see it to the point where people will even kind of not do the numbers because they're so convinced that their passion is going to drive them through and, and make it successful regardless of what the numbers say. Um, and you just right. can't do that in real estate. But the thing that you keep pointing out as well, which I believe in wholeheartedly, is that you have to put in the time to know that particular area and market and segment before you can start doing deals that are going to be intelligent, right? Or you can partners with others that do have that, that knowledge, right? Exactly. Yeah, you can find a great operator that has that knowledge and, you know, what they need is the capital. So you come alongside of them and you learn through them and do with them or you can be totally passive, um, or you hire a mentor and, mm. and a coach to help you work those things out. But at the end of the day, no matter what you do, you know, if you're going to be an operator, an active investor, you, you have to learn that, that information. And, you know, you can do it in conjunction, follow along or hire somebody to teach you. But uh, knowledge is 100% of the game and in a business as well. 
Yeah. There's a lot of people that want to go out and start a business. I've got uh, a guy that I'm coaching who's an NFL football player. And he said, hey, man, would it make sense for me to go buy, you know, like a pizza franchise? I don't have to be there. You know, it, it runs itself. And I'm like, you know, yeah, you could do that. But, you, you know, don't think you don't have to know that business just because yeah. it's a franchise. You still yeah. need to know what your food costs, what your labor costs, you know, uh, you know, how much, what are your sales going to be? You know, you still got to be able to keep track of that business and track the metrics and understand the business. You can't just buy a franchise and walk away and expect it to run itself, you know? Right. Um, you know, you hear over and over, somebody says, oh, yeah, everybody loves my ribs. I'm going to open up a barbecue joint. I'm like, yeah, you got 10 people coming over on weekends that you're feeding for free. Of course they love it. <laughs> you open a restaurant, you know how many ribs you got to sell to pay the rent, much less make any money? So, yeah, you got to know the business. You got to know the numbers, whether it's real estate or or anything else. All right. All right. So I want to I want to go back and walk through the major steps uh, of how you got started as an example. Starting in 97, you started the uh, the, the handyman business. You did that successfully initially. What was the first, then next evolution of that business? So it was me, my truck and tools. And then the next step was I hired a part-time bookkeeper. And this is what I advise everybody to do starting out in business. Your first hire, uh, if you're getting started like I did, is, is an office manager slash bookkeeper slash administrative assistant slash slash slash, right? You want somebody who can help you take the entire administrative load off of you. Then I hired my next employee in the field to work alongside of me. I was swinging a hammer at this point. And then she became full-time when I hired that person. And you then were I still hired, doing uh, the, the one-off repairs and maintenance, uh, yep. those, out, those odd jobs that nobody else was still, still not touching. Yeah, this is all still remodeling handyman work, you know, doing smaller stuff, not even additions. We were really replacing decks and putting doors in and doing windows and siding and roofing, you know, stuff like that. And I had my own crews, my own tools, my own trucks. We were doing it all ourselves. Then I hired another guy. So when I hired my second guy in the field, I, at that point, I was able to step out into a superintendent role. So my job was to keep materials on the job. I'd work and help them whenever I didn't have anything else to do. And as we grew, I hired another field person. And then I was able to step into more of a sales role because one of my field guys stepped up into a superintendent role. So we had multiple jobs going. Instead of one job at a time, I had multiples. I had two crews on each job. Well, one crew on one job, one crew on another job. And I had a super superintendent bouncing back and forth between them at that point i became nothing but sales okay. and i focused on sales so let me let me jump in here because one of the things i've heard you talk about as well is your your challenge early on with the ability to delegate and this is a classic point at which a lot of people especially if you've got that craftsman background or you had been in construction and you knew how to do it well it's hard to let go of it being done to your standard how did you manage that and, and let go of that micromanagement? Well, for me, it was easy. I'm, I'm a natural born delegator. I mean, my superpower is the ability to de delegate tasks to others and let them do their thing. And the second thing is I'm not that great of a craftsman. So, <laughs> okay. All right. You know, but I do know. So, so that helped because you actually realized I could hire somebody that actually can do it better than I can. Exactly. Yeah. I'm not that good. And, uh, and there's a lot of things I haven't done. You know, I'm, I'm a decent, you know, I can, I can fix things and make things work, but you know, I'm no carpenter. I'm not a master carpenter. I'm not a master of anything when it comes to a trade, but I'm generally decent enough uh, to get by. So I knew what good work looked like. I knew what good carpenters looked like. So I would hire my whole thing is whatever I'm not good at. I hire people that are way better and smarter than me and I put them in place and coach them to success. So I didn't go to college. But I've always had at least one MBA working for me. And uh, most everybody else in my organization at the administrative level, office level, uh, executive level had degrees. My field guys didn't always. 
uh, until the company grew and I had, you know, field superintendents at all, you know, a lot of them had degrees, but that's the key right there. I okay. find great people that, that are way better and smarter than me to do the things that I can't do or don't want to do or are not good at. And then I coach them to success and I let them do their job. And, you know, that's hard for a tradesperson, you know, and, and, and I have a lot of tradespeople that have worked for me over the years. And a lot of them just can't make that transition because number one, they don't want to, they don't want to take on the overhead and the risk. And number two, they can't let go of the control and allow others to make mistakes. And that's right. the biggest thing. Yeah. If you're going to delegate and you're going to grow, you've got to let people make mistakes and be okay with people making mistakes and understand nobody's going to do it the way you're going to do it, but they're going to do it the way that's best for them. And if you're getting the end result in an efficient, cost-effective, profitable manner, then, you know, that's what you have to be able to do in order to grow and scale. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Well said. All right, let's move forward then. At what point, and give me a time frame here, do you then move to the next level and what is that? When do you start getting out of the you know, one-offs, repairs, and, and move to the next level and what is that level? So the project started growing. So I started doing bigger additions and renovations. So I went from doing a $500, $5,000 job to doing $200,000 jobs and $300,000 jobs. And how, how long before you got there? So from 97 to when do you start doing those kind of projects? That was probably 2000. That was probably within three years I was doing, you know, the bigger, the bigger jobs. And then I started building houses. And I, I started with, so at that point, three years in, I realized two things. One, I had all in-house employees and I had company trucks and all that kind of stuff and all the tools and everything. And I wasn't profitable, even though I was busy and I was doing all these things and I'd gone from 250,000 in sales wow. to 1.2 million, I wasn't making any money. Well, wait, so, so were you paying yourself a salary at least? Or what do you mean by uh, not profitable? No, I had to stop paying myself a salary. I couldn't even take a salary. I was just barely surviving. And actually I was having to borrow money to keep the company going, but I owned a plumbing company that I bought along the way and the plumbing company was paying. I see. So I was getting by on a thousand dollars a week that the plumbing company was paying me while I'm running a multi-million dollar remodeling firm that's not making a nickel. And was the thought, but before the light bulb went off, was the thought was, I, I just got to get to that right level of scale and then I'll start making money? Is that what you were thinking? No, no. I was thinking all the way along, how in the world am I not making money? Okay. Right? All right. So you kept working at it and figuring out and then it finally dawned on you. What it finally occurred to me that it's the hourly employees in, in the structure I was working they were killing me because they weren't showing up when they were supposed to. They were, you know, they were making mistakes. They were dogging it. They got paid by the hour, so they didn't care. You know, they just weren't working, you know, efficiently and fast, and they had no skin in the game. Why so, did you go the W-2 route as opposed to the subcontractor or contractor route? You know, it's old school of thought that you got to have it all in-house when you're doing remodeling, and you got to control everything. So okay. the idea is you have better control, you have better quality and all that, and it's just not the case. Okay. And, you know, they were stealing from me. They were, you know, at 7-Eleven when they were supposed to be on the job. I and mean, it was just all kinds of stuff was going on. Yeah. So the, uh, the motivations were just not there when you had these employees. It, it just it, it just did not work. So 2000, you figure, were these spec homes you were building or were they uh, custom homes for individual clients? Tell me about that. Yeah. So I started with spec homes. That's where I started in 2000. Little, little tiny spec houses, like 1,200 square foot, three bedroom, two bath beach boxes. And also remember along the way, nobody taught me the business. So I was learning. So I didn't know how to price things effectively. I didn't know how to mark up effectively. I and mean, I was learning all this as I went along. Even by so, 2000, you would say you, you were not very good at that. No, I still wasn't very good at it yet. I still hadn't dialed it in. It wasn't until I switched to new construction and changed my business model where I started uh, getting turnkey prices from subcontractors mm, and 
managing the process versus managing individuals mm -hmm. and, you know, understanding what things cost. And I, you know, started getting, uh, I hired, you know, uh, some people to come into the company that were more sophisticated and better than me. They came in and were doing estimates, built spreadsheets, doing all that. Cause I didn't know how to build a spreadsheet. You know, I didn't know how to do any of that stuff. So uh, I wasn't using that. I was still estimating by hand, writing it down on a note paper. And if I didn't, if I didn't know what I didn't know, then I wasn't accounting for it. So as I went along, I learned what the numbers were and what the costs were. And, you know, each job was a learning experience. But unfortunately, <laughs> if you lose money on one, uh, that doesn't help you on the next, right, until, until you get the next job done. So, so once I switched to, to the subcontractors, then the game changed. My costs were fixed for each trade. And that's when I started making money because I was just marking up what they were charging me. Okay. And so that's when you finally, that's when it clicked. Okay. So where did it go next? Or is that where you stayed with that particular company as far as building individual single family homes? So that's where it went next. So uh, I started building small spec houses and I hired, uh, what I did was I looked at my biggest, best competitor in the market who I wanted to be as a company. I went after their best people and I hired them. So instead of having to reinvent the wheel and figure this all out to build houses, I went and hired people that were already doing it, you know, for the last 10 years for the largest company down there building the biggest, nicest houses. So I brought them to work for me and instantly we had the people in the credibility that could build million dollar beach houses. I'd never built a house before that time. And that's part of what made it easier for me because I didn't know what I was doing. I had no clue how to build a house from the ground up. So I had to rely on them. I had to let them do what they had already been doing for years. And all I did was just help them become more efficient, more systemized and more organized in what they were doing because I gave them support. Yeah. Greg, how, how deep were you in it at that point as far as from, a, you don't have to give me a number, from, from a debt perspective, how bad did it get before you turned that corner? Uh, you know, so it happened twice in my career. One time, you know, it was probably maybe early on, 20, 30,000 bucks. It wasn't much. You know, it was credit cards that I used to, or equity line of credit I used on my house to, to maintain the company. And I got that back really quickly when I started building. Sure. And then when I started building houses for other people, custom homes, I had gotten behind on cash flow a little bit because I had a big overhead and, and, um, you know, and I'd gotten down about a half a million at one point. And, you know, I remember looking at the, uh, looking at the books one time, and this might've been 2003 or four, where we had, we had half a million dollars in payables, <laughs> you know, mm -hmm. but we had receivables too, but I was like, wow. Yeah. And, um, you know, we pulled out of that hole by the end of the year, you know, with getting the projects delivered and things. And then, you know, once we recovered from that, I'd, I'd done some other spec deals and managed to put some money in the bank. And I said, I'm done. I'm going to sell this thing and be out of here before this ever happens and wipes me out. Okay. And, uh, you know, and along the way where I made my money was on the spec houses and the development deals I did, not on building houses for other people. I see. Interesting. All right. Very good. Fascinating stuff. We can keep talking about that journey forever, but in the essence of time, we'll, we'll start to wrap it up. One last question, and then we'll start to summarize. What else? We've touched on some of those mistakes that you have observed people make and that you've made yourself and I've made. Uh, what else have we not talked about that you see as a common mistake, especially as people get started in some kind of real estate business? You know, uh, a lot of people just try to go it on their own and don't want to ask for help and seek out advice. Uh, you know, I mean, there's many people that do, but there's a lot of people that don't. So I would say the biggest mistake in real estate is thinking you can just kind of fake your way through it. You know, it's you can get hurt really quick in real estate because the numbers add up very fast depending on what you're doing. You know, I would say don't try to bite off more than you can chew and, and don't try to go out and do a deal without learning and educating yourself first. A lot of people think I'll just learn it as I go, which I did. And it was, it was a very difficult path. 
get the education and the knowledge first, then, then get out there and start hitting. Yeah. Yeah. And of course, all of these TV shows that make it seem so simple on the residential front, that doesn't help either. No, no, they're glorifying it. And they're not putting up all of the numbers and all. Oh of yeah, no, my, my wife and I laugh all the time because we've flipped homes before and and they're getting these sweet deals because it's all part of the promotion. A lot of times you're like, oh, you would never be able to get it that cheap. You know, so it's, it's interesting. It's entertainment. Yeah, yeah. Talking about the help, tell us about the help that you offer. And so summarize those services for us. Yeah, yeah. So I do uh, coaching and uh, mentorship and, and I do one-on-one. -on -one. Um, right now, I don't have any courses for sale that I offer. I've had people ask me. Um, I have different levels of, of time commitments for people depending on what they're doing. So it could be a year-long one-on-one um, mentorship program where I'm on demand Monday through Friday, 8 to 5 Eastern Standard Time, and they can call me, text me, whatever. And I'm there. I'm like their business partner in their business helping them get a business started, do some real estate deals, get it up and running, scale it, grow it, whatever they need. Uh, entrepreneurial, executive coaching, CEO, leadership coaching, whatever somebody needs, and whether it's a business or real estate or whatever. Uh, so I have a year long program and then I have deal specific stuff. So I do some development consulting or project specific consulting. Uh, if people have a project and they just need somebody to help them kind of get it through or get it over the hurdle um, or get it going and, you know, raise money, package the deal, that type of stuff. So, you know, I help people do that. And who, who is a good fit, Greg? When you, when you have that first consultation or the first initial calls, you've been at this long enough to kind of get a feel. Who, what is it about the people that you're able to help that are successful? We, we've touched on some of those characteristics that you had, you know, the perseverance and that discipline and that hard work ethic. What else? Is there anything else that stands out that you, you think you have to have to have a better chance of being successful in real estate? You know, desire. So the, the other businesses that I started, I did it all with other people that came to me. So they came to me and they said, I want to do this thing. So then I came alongside of them and I did one of two things. I either joint ventured with them and I helped them do it, but I did it through them. So I've been a coach and a mentor my entire career in my own companies and every other company I've ever started. Everybody that I worked with, I coached them over the phone in their business to, to either start grow and build their business or if they're already in one i came alongside to help them restructure it and then we blew it up and every business i got involved with we blew them up and we, they became the largest most successful entity that they were plumbing company storm shutter company pool spa landscaping painting company bunch of different companies uh and even restaurants so it's anybody who has a desire that has a skill that you know maybe they're already in a business and they're ready to go to the next level or or they're ready to start their business and they just need somebody to come alongside of them like their partner and help them get it going i still do equity deals i still get involved in businesses that have scale so i'm not looking to get involved in a bakery that's going to be one one little bakery but um if there's something that has the ability to scale and grow you know i get involved in those deals as well so i'd say number one is desire knowledge you got to know what you're doing you know i can't teach you the business of something you got to have some knowledge or some level of education about what you're going to do before, you know, we do anything uh, to fast track it and to make it worth their time because, you know, um, there is an investment. So it's got to be worth their time and you can get free education. I've got videos on YouTube. There's all kinds of stuff out there about the business of real estate or whatever it is you're doing. So learn the business first, but if you're in it and you know it and you're ready to go, then that's, that's, you know, who's for me, whether, I mean, I've got some people that are at the very highest levels of the syndication game and I've got some people that are, you know, just get started out. Uh, but they all know the business. Uh, they have the resources and they have the desire. Yeah. 
All right, very good. Speaking of resources, we've talked about books. You mentioned guerrilla marketing. You mentioned principles. Is there another book that comes to mind that you would recommend? Yeah, so the original book that launched my and changed my thinking uh, was Rich Dad, Poor Dad. Uh, you know, a lot of people have read that book, and that opened my mind to uh, creating businesses that generate cash flow to invest in other assets. So that was where that whole philosophy came from and how I launched, you know, everything that I did off of that. From a management perspective, uh, there's a book, and it's an old book called Managing by Harold Janine. He was the CEO of ITT, and that's a multi-conglomerate, and that's, that's about leading teams and managing a business. It's an 80s book, but, man, it's, it's unbelievably relevant in today's world. And then the One Minute Manager, there's a series of books in the One Minute Manager system that is my management leadership training philosophy that I've used my entire career. So those would be some great books for people to read that will really impact your business today. They're just as relevant today as they were back when I first read them. Yep, absolutely. Great recommendations. We'll have links to those books on the show notes page for this episode, and you can find that at thehowofbusiness.com. Thanks for those recommendations, Greg. All right, we'll wrap it up here. What's one thing uh, that you want us to take away from this conversation? You know, I would say that the one thing would be if there's something that you really want to do and something that you've always wanted to do, number one, get the education, you know, learn the ins and outs of it, know it intimately, know it inside and out, whether it's real estate, it's your market, whether it's a business, it's the operations and the product and what it takes. Um, get the education first before you step out there. And when you do, reach out for help. There's plenty of people out there, mentors, coaches that can help you come alongside of you, get the help or get into a franchise and, and you know, joint venture with somebody or go to work for somebody. So don't go it alone. Um, if you've got a dream and a desire and you sincerely, honestly want to make it happen, you know, make it happen. Get out there and do it. Life is short. Take your shot. And, uh, and there's plenty of, you know, help and resources out there to, to help you ensure success. Yeah. Love it. Where do you want us to go online to find out more about you? Yeah, so all my information online, uh, gregdickerson.com, you know, my development company stuff is there. I do a lot of development now, and, and I outsource and, and leverage the talents of others and uh, manage and lead teams. So gregdickerson.com, uh, all my info is there. My number is 434-326-3903. That's my cell number. I answer the phone, and I do call you back. Uh, so I'm able to help people. I love helping people, coaching people. That's kind of what I was born to do, and I've done my entire career. Great. This has been a great conversation. I've learned some things, uh, lots of good insights, lots of actionable, actionable tips, which is what we always look for. So thanks for taking the time to be with us today. Hey, thank you for having me. I enjoyed it and uh, I'd love to do it again. Absolutely. This is Henry Lopez and thanks for listening to this episode of The How of Business. My guest again today was Greg Dickerson. We release new episodes every Monday morning and you can find us on Apple Podcasts, on Stitcher, on other platforms, as well as at our website, thehowabusiness.com. And you can also text the word biz, B-I-Z, to 31996 to get more information that way. Thanks for listening. And thanks to our show sponsor, Gusto. Easy online payroll, benefits, and HR services and tools built for modern small businesses. Thank you for listening to The How of Business. For more information, links, and other resources, please visit thehowofbusiness.com.